It's our prayer, and we ask that you would use what you say to us through Scripture to help us be like you. We pray this in your name. Amen. I uh, ran across an interesting statistic the other day. It said that siblings between the ages of two and four have 6.2 fights per hour. (laughs) 90 fights a day, 3,000 fights per year. So if you are the parent of young children, now you know why you're so exhausted. What a great statement on the human condition. We just have a lot of conflict and we don't know how to forgive each other. This is the last sermon in the series we've been doing on Joseph in the Old Testament and what it means to be a difference maker. Let me just briefly review the story before I go any further, just so that we have the whole story in our head. Joseph was his dad's favorite. His 11 brothers didn't like that, so they tried to kill him and then they sold him into slavery in Egypt. He was falsely accused of rape, thrown into prison for 13 years, let out because he could interpret Pharaoh's dream. He interprets the dream, Pharaoh makes him prime minister of Egypt, and Joseph saves thousands of lives from a famine by storing up food. He was a difference maker. But being prime minister of Egypt was not his greatest accomplishment. The real difference that Joseph made was he was the first person in the Bible to forgive. I want you to think of someone right now who you have a hard time forgiving. Maybe a co-worker who's cheated you, or a friend who stabbed you in the back, or a family member who's wounded you. As I preach, I want you to just think of that person, maybe even pray for that person. See, I'm giving you permission to let your minds wander when I preach. <laughs> going to anyways, I might as well give you permission, right? We all have people who've hurt us. And in the face of those hurts, our culture says things like, don't get mad, get even. And even if you do, bury the hatchet, remember where you buried it, because you might need it again someday. But all of that resentment just causes a whole lot of problems. Because the person we're mad at then begins to affect how we think and how we feel. So that the one person we most want to forget is the one person we can't stop thinking about. And that chews us up inside and gives us stress and and it can even make us sick. As I've said before, nursing a grudge is like taking poison hoping that your enemy will die. It does us no good. And God has so much more for us than that. God wants reconciliation. Now let me define that word a little bit, at least what it's not. Reconciliation does not mean that we're just wimpy doormats and let people walk all over us. That is not good for anybody, and that's not what God wants. Reconciliation means that we don't let the devil win by destroying our relationships, and instead we seek the wholeness and the joy that comes when we reconcile. So that we're set free from being consumed by anger and bitterness and rage. And that's what Joseph does in the story we just read. But to really understand the significance of Joseph's forgiveness, we need to go back a couple of generations in his story. Because the bitterness and anger in Joseph's family was inherited. It was generational. The book of Genesis is really a book about a very dysfunctional family. Lying, rape, incest, fratricide. If you think your family's bad, just read Genesis, you'll feel so much better. (laughs) Joseph's grandfather, Isaac, had a lifelong feud with his brother Ishmael. Never resolved it. And then Joseph's father, Jacob, oh, there was a piece of work. His name means deceiver, and that's what he was. And Jacob had a brother named Esau. And the Bible says that Esau was a hairy man. 
Don't know what that has to do with anything, but the Bible really wants you to know that Esau was a hairy man. And he was a hunter. So think Neanderthal. That's the vibe we're going for here. And Jacob was a mama's boy. And one day Esau came home from hunting and Jacob had made some red mush for supper. Tasty. And Esau said, me hungry, want red stuff. That's the Scott Dudley translation. And Jacob said, give me your inheritance and I'll give you some red stuff. And Esau said, okay. Gave his whole inheritance away for a bowl of red oatmeal. Okay, maybe he had a full six-pack, but he definitely lacked a little plastic thing to hold it all together. <laughs> then later, Jacob also sealed Esau's blessing. So Esau wanted to kill Jacob. So Jacob runs away to his uncle Laban. And the only person that was more of a cheat than Jacob was his uncle Laban. And Jacob falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. And Laban says, work seven years for me, and I'll give her to you. So Jacob does that. But then on the wedding night, Laban puts Rachel's older sister Leah in Jacob's bed instead of Rachel. And shockingly, Jacob consummates the marriage anyway. Maybe it was really dark. I don't know. <laughs> so then he had to work another seven years to get Rachel. And meanwhile, Jacob steals from Laban, and Laban cheats Jacob, and they just do this for 14 years. Well, finally, Jacob takes his two wives, that's right, two wives. See, you are feeling so much better about your family right now, right? And he runs away, along with his 12 sons. Laban runs after him, and when he catches up with Jacob, they build this little pillar of stones. And Laban says, you stay on that side, and I'll stay on this side, and let's just stop hurting each other. You know, sometimes in a relationship, that's as good as you can get, isn't it? You know, one of the problems with sermons on forgiveness is they make you feel like a failure if there's someone in your life that no matter how hard you try, you cannot reconcile with them. Or someone who's dead and you, you can't have a conversation. Or someone you really should not be around, like an abusive spouse. Sometimes the best we can do in a fallen, sinful world is to say, you go your way, I'll go mine, I will pray God's blessing on you, but let's just stop hurting each other. It's not what God wants. It's not his ultimate dream. It falls short of the wholeness and joy of reconciliation. But sometimes as sinful people, that's as good as we can get. But even then, we can at least let go of the anger and bitterness in our hearts. Well, from there, Jacob moves on. And, and then he hears that his brother Esau, the Neanderthal, is coming back to meet him. And Jacob's afraid that Esau's going to kill him. So Jacob does what every brave man would do. He puts his wives and children in front of him to hide behind. But when Esau finally finds Jacob in the back of the pack, he runs to him and he embraces him and they weep together. And Jacob says, Esau, seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. And they begin to mend their relationship. But not all the way. In fact, after this, Jacob and Esau see each other only one more time. And sometimes that's as good as we can get in a relationship. Right? We, we, the, the relationship is partly restored, but we're never going to be the best of friends. And maybe we shouldn't. You know, ex-spouses, for instance, can reach a place of mutual respect, but it wouldn't be appropriate if they were talking to each other a lot, especially if they're remarried. Again, that's not what God wants. What he wants is reconciliation. But sometimes we can only get partway there. It's a kind of second best. 
And that is all that Jacob, Joseph's father, was able to do with his brother. So Joseph and his brothers are inheriting all of this family anger, all of these family resent resentments, which should be sobering to us. You know, the sins we do affect our children and our grandchildren, and maybe even our great-grandchildren. But unlike his father, Joseph manages to achieve full reconciliation. Not only forgives his brothers for trying to kill him and then selling him into slavery, but he provides for them. They're able to be close and have wholeness and joy in the relationship. So what is it that Joseph does? What is it that happens that makes Joseph able to reach full reconciliation when his father and his grandfather couldn't? Two things. The first is confession and asking forgiveness. Reconciliation can happen only when both sides admit they're part of the conflict. With Jacob and Laban and Esau, nobody ever said, here's what I did to hurt you, will you please forgive me? Nobody ever said that. They just swept it under the carpet. The dirty little family secret, the elephant in the room that people pretended wasn't there. But in the passage we read today, Joseph's brothers admit what they did was wrong. And they ask for forgiveness. Reconciliation happens only if both sides confess what they've done to hurt the other person. Because if we go to someone to argue with them and tell them all the ways they've hurt us, what are they going to do? They're just going to argue right back, right? But if we go and say, hey, here's what I think I did to hurt you, more often than not, and we ask, will you forgive me? More often than not, that person will say something like, you know what, I've hurt you too. I haven't, I haven't been perfect. It's like a story I heard a while back about a woman who was in a grocery store and, and she said to the clerk, I want to buy half a cantaloupe. And the clerk said, we don't sell half cantaloupes here, only whole ones. But the lady kept insisting, so the clerk went to his manager and said, there's some crazy lady out there who wants to buy a half a cantaloupe. And then he looked over and saw that the woman was standing right next to him. So he said, without missing a beat, he said, and this kind lady has offered to buy the second half. <laughs> There's always a second half. Yours. What is it? Confess it and ask forgiveness and really own it. Right? Don't say to someone, I'm sorry if I did something which you took the wrong way. <laughs> own it. And no job interview confessions either. You know, in a job interview, they ask your strengths and weaknesses, and for weaknesses, you always say, oh, my problem has always been I just work too hard. Oh, far out. <laughs> Not so much a weakness, right? In a fight with a spouse, for instance, don't say, I'm sorry that I work long hours. My problem has always been that I'm just too conscientious. No. How about this, right? If you're fighting with your spouse, how about this? I'm sorry my priorities are so jacked up that I'd rather spend time trying to impress people who I don't really know than be with you and the kids. I'm sorry I am so selfish for treating you like a maid and a nanny and, rather than a wife. Try that on for size. And just for the record, that conversation is purely hypothetical. <laughs> Any resemblance to persons living or dead or pastors is purely coincidental. If both sides admit they're part of the conflict, reconciliation can happen. Both sides. But why don't you go first? Just because you're here in this sermon. Second thing Joseph does to achieve reconciliation is he trusts God's plan. Joseph says to his brothers, you meant to harm me, but God meant it for good. 
Yeah, his brothers sold him into slavery, but God used that to make him prime minister of Egypt and save a lot of lives. There is nothing, there is absolutely nothing that person you're mad at can do to thwart God's plans for you. They cannot do it. They don't have that much power in your life unless you give it to them. They cannot thwart God's plans for you. God is stronger than that person you're mad at. Honest. God made the whole universe. That other person just ticked you off. God is stronger. And if we trust that nothing can thwart God's plans for us, it gets easier to forgive. Because we know that God is defending us, using even hurtful things, ultimately for our good. And we then can trust that God's going to deal with that other person as is appropriate. We don't have to do it. God will. The original meaning of the word forgive meant to give away or give forward. And you can see it in the prefix for, right? To give our anger forward to God. Let him deal with it. Revenge, on the other hand, has the opposite prefix. To give vengeance backward to some, someone else. And those prefixes show us the benefits of forgiveness and the consequences of unforgiveness. The prefix for is about moving forward into the future. The prefix re takes us back into the past. When we forgive, we are free to move into a whole new future. But when we seek revenge, we are tied to our painful past. Several years ago, I gave you an acronym to describe how to, how to do this process, how to find reconciliation, GAPS. How do we fill in the gap? Go to the person you're angry at. Don't pretend it's not happening. Admit your part of the conflict. Pray. And then stay. Because it can take a while. Gaps. After that sermon, someone told me, really, you should pray first, so the acronym should be PGAPS. Which is probably right. So pray, and then go, admit, and stay. Because reconciliation can take a while. Especially if the wounds are deep. It can be a long process. You know, when Joseph's reunited with his brothers in this story, throughout it, he keeps crying. And every time he cries, the Egyptians say, look how much he loves his brothers. And Philip Yancey says, author Philip Yancey says, that's not what's going on. When Joseph is crying, that is the sound of a man forgiving. Reconciliation can be hard. Which is why we need Jesus. It's interesting to me in this story that when Joseph is reunited with his brothers, if you, if you read the whole narrative, he, if, he can't forgive them right away. It takes him a while. And at one point he decides to test them to see if they're different people. So he pretends, he makes it look like the youngest brother, Benjamin, has stolen something from Joseph's treasury, a silver cup. And when Benjamin is accused of stealing, Joseph's brother Judah, the one who proposed selling Joseph into slavery decades earlier, Judah steps forward and says, don't put Benjamin in prison, I'll take his place, punish me instead. And then Joseph knows that his brothers are changed and that they're sorry for what they've done. Because just like Joseph, Benjamin was another one of their dad's favorites. So here the brothers have a chance to get rid of another one of dad's favorites, just like they did with Joseph. But they don't do it this time. Instead, Judah offers to take Benjamin's punishment for him. They've changed. And this is foreshadowing. Because centuries later, one of Judah's great-great-great-great-great-great-grandsons named Jesus does the same thing for us. When we've sinned against God, ourselves, and others, when we've gossiped and destroyed a reputation that takes a lifetime to build. When we've said unkind things to people that stick with them and eroded their sense of self-worth. 
When we've cheated on our spouses or think hate-filled thoughts about other people. When we've done all of those things, Judah's descendant, Jesus, steps forward. And he said, don't punish them. Punish me instead. I'll take their place. It's like we have this heavy backpack of sin and shame and guilt on our back. And Jesus says to us, let me take that from you. I'll bear that load for you. And when we really experience that, not in our head, but in our hearts, through prayer, worship, confession of our sins, when we really experience his forgiveness, it becomes a lot easier to forgive because we know how much we've been forgiven. When we were in Rwanda, we got to attend a reconciliation seminar where perpetrators of the genocide in 1994 come face to face with the victims of their crimes. And when we arrived, a man and a woman were standing in front of the room, tied together with a rope. And during the genocide, this man had killed this woman's children in front of her eyes, a crime for which he had gone to prison. And now these two were tied together with this rope in this seminar, and the instructor said, I want you to walk in opposite directions, which of course they couldn't, right? Because they just ended up in a tug of war. And the instructor said, that's what unforgiveness does. It ties you to the person you least want to be around. So then he took the rope and he put it on the cross and he said, all of the sins, all of the sins of the perpetrator, everybody's sins, even the victim's sins, everyone's sins, those were paid for in full at the cross, which means we can be set free. Then after a time of prayer, the perpetrator stood in front of the woman and he confessed his sins against her. But not just casually, he was sobbing and it looked like his whole body was physically racked with pain. And at the end, he tearfully asked her, will you please forgive me? Well, she got up and walked out of the room. Who could blame her? The counselor followed her and about 30 minutes later, though, she came back in. She walked to the front of the room. She sat down next to the perpetrator and she kind of looked at him, just kind of nudged him like that and gave him a little smile. As if to say, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And we're going to get there. And when she did that, you could physically feel Jesus in the room. It was like he was standing right there. Her body, the perpetrator's body, they just suddenly relaxed. And you could physically feel the Holy Spirit just enter the room. And that was as far as they got that day. Our translator said sometimes it takes multiple workshops for people to be able to reconcile with each other. But they are doing it in Rwanda. In fact, one of the other people we met in Rwanda was a woman who had forgiven the man who had killed her children. They even go to the same church and call each other brother and sister in Christ. And because they've been able to do that, they're not chewed up with anger and rage and resentment. They're whole. They have joy. Now, to us, that kind of reconciliation seems almost impossible, right? I mean, I think of the reasons I get mad at people. They, they said something hurtful to me, or even that they just cut me off in traffic. And I can't imagine how these Rwandans are reconciling like they are. Only Jesus can do that, guys. Only Jesus. Jesus, who pays the price for every sin we've ever sinned and every sin done to us. And then his Holy Spirit who can give us the power to forgive. And you know what? These Rwandans, do not, they're not filled with doubt about whether or not Jesus exists. They are 100% sure Jesus exists. Because only Jesus could give them the power to forgive. Toward the end of this very intense reconciliation seminar that we were at, the, the leader toward the end, he looked at us, we were in the back of the room, he looked at us and he said, would the Americans like to say anything? And then everyone on the team kind of looked at me. I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh. 
Finally, the only thing I was able to blurt out was it is such a privilege to be here. And this feels like holy ground. And it was. Reconciliation between us and God and us and each other, that's what God wants more than anything else. He wanted it so badly that he was willing to die on a cross to make it happen. And when we reconcile, we stand on holy ground because we are doing the thing that God most wants done. And we become difference makers because we bring wholeness and joy to ourselves and then to an angry, angry world. Rwanda is a country with so much hope right now because so many people are putting aside generations of bitterness and learning to reconcile with each other. Just as Joseph broke the cycle of anger in his family, just like you and I can break the cycles of anger and bitterness in our lives. So who are the people with whom you need to reconcile? To whom can you go, admit your sins, pray, and then stay? Because when you do, you will make a difference. You will see the face of God, and you will stand on holy ground. Lord, this is a hard word, and who can do it? Except through you. So, Lord, we ask that just as you have forgiven us much, Lord, help us to forgive as well. In your name and for your glory. Amen.